Hello. Hello. He's Oliver. She's Lucy. And you're listening to Anyway Movies. The podcast of film fanatics and movie maniacs. The podcast of discussions, debates and occasional distractions as we talk about all things cinema. If you like what you hear, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on podcasting platforms. Big shout out to my sister Molly for creating the logo and images for our podcast. Give her a follow on Instagram at underscore Molly underscore Joanne underscore. Now that's all out of the way, dim the lights, turn the projector on. And let's start the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Anyway Movies. Today we have a little bit of a different episode for you guys. So obviously for the past few weeks we have been talking about Oliver and I's favourite films. This week we are sort of talking about separate films but in the same sort of category. Nice. I like how you explained that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Today, we're talking about our favourite movie sequels. Woo! So basically, sequels that we think are better than the original film that they are spun off. This is going to be a very, very exciting episode. I'm very much looking forward to talking about this. <laughs> well, this idea actually came about when um, we were originally discussing a certain movie that we won't talk about because we might do it in a future episode but the basis of it was that universally it's seen as a bad sequel and then Lucy started talking about some of her favorite sequels and then suggested the idea why don't we switch it up a bit and talk about our favorite movie sequels and I was like the brain on this woman that's a yes Just so you guys know, we will be talking about spoilers, maybe very briefly. So if we mention a film that you have not seen yet, then feel free to skip over. But to be fair, these films have been out for quite a few years. I mean, I I, I don't really know Oliver's choices yet, but I know the release dates and they have been out for a while. And they are all pretty popular. So that's an understatement. Yeah, so you should be okay, but I just thought I'd put a warning out there, just in case. With that being said, Lucy, please, if you will, give us your first favourite movie sequel. One of my favourite movie sequels is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Nice. So this is the second of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, so it's after the Curse of the Black Pearl. I watched this film in full three years ago, I want to say, for the first time. I absolutely loved it. And I have seen it quite a few times since. It's still my favourite one. I love all of the sequences in it, so the three-way sword fight, the bit were in the ball on the string and they've had to like swing themselves onto the cliff. It's just full of really, really fun sequences while also having quite a dark story underpinning it. Yeah. And I love all of the characters. Davy Jones being introduced in this film is amazing and the effects still hold up today. 
yeah i just love how every single character has some sort of arc something to do you know you know when you have those sorts of characters that are literally just there to either have exposition or they are just there to be eye candy every single person in this film has a purpose and they have a motive to get this chest and i absolutely love it you don't know who you want to get the chest more because they all want it for different reasons i mean i always stand by kira knightley <laughs> <laughs> always always i think elizabeth swan is probably the <laughs> most level-headed like most like clear like this is what i need to do this is what i have to do kind of person in the yeah. whole maybe in the whole franchise <laughs> to be fair saying that though she does have quite a few comedic moments in this one they've given her a lot more personality yeah. like the bit where she pretends to faint that was funny <laughs> it's, it's so good oh. i just love elizabeth and the bit where she dresses up as a boy as well so she can get onto the crew amazing work and she starts the fight um, in the pub yes yeah, uh, I just love every single character and I think that they all bring their A-game to it. The the makeup and the special effects for Davy Jones's crew, specifically Bootstrap Bill, like the shells and like all the sea stuff. Yeah, the starfish. Yeah, it, it's very, um, it's grotesque, but not in a way that makes you want to look away. But it, it, it's definitely, it has a very creep, there's creepiness about it. I love the cinematography as well. There's loads of good shots in this film. I love the locations as well, like the scene when they're on that beach and they filmed this part on, I think it was like an island that had the whitest sand. And the fact they went to all that trouble just to find like an island with white sand just so it could be visually pleasing is insane. I, I do have to say, I think that that whole sequence, like the three-way sword fight and <laughs> Elizabeth like running around and then fighting and just that whole scene. And obviously, like you said, when she pretends to fate and everything, like, I think that might be my favourite scene from that movie. Oh, definitely. The three-way sword fight is one of my favourite sequences in film history. And that isn't even a joke. One of my favourite things in film that I've seen. I love that sequence so much. I never get bored of it. Yeah, I think I have just about summed up why Dead Man's Chest is one of my favourite sequels. And I actually don't think Pirates of the Caribbean is a bad series. I think people give it a bit too much flack. I actually think it's very good and all of the films have something good in them. I actually didn't mind On Stranger Tides, just putting it out there. I wow. don't think it's a bad film. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you have opinions on this. Well, I don't think it's a bad film. I'll just leave it at that, I guess. Right, so let's move on to your first one then. Ooh. Well, I have two that are in some way similar and in other ways vastly different, and then one that's a bit further out. But my first one is actually Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. I remember I was discussing this with my dad thinking, like, I had 
two and I was thinking what could my third one be and he said why not empire I'm like oh my god why didn't I think of that first that should have been on top of the list well this is why I'm mentioning it first because it's just so good I'm I'm kind of like jumping to the very end of this film at this point but like my favorite thing about this film other than the big twist that everyone should know by now and if you don't well I'm sorry but I'm about to say it Darth Vader being Luke's father, brilliant. But the ending, I love movies with high stakes. And the fact that at the very end of the film, the bad guys essentially win, and our three main heroes have all been separated. Everything's just very amped up. And you don't see that enough in movies. You don't see enough movies where bad guys win. You don't see enough movies that set up these high stakes and actually follow through with them. <sighs> and that's probably like the the thing I love most about this movie. Also the introduction of Yoda. Yoda is a king. Yoda is a king. Like that whole sequence on Dagobah, yeah, I think it's called if I remember correctly. <laughs> the swamp planet. And just the whole aspect of well one thing like creating subversion because throughout the first film all you see are humans really (laughs) humans and droids yeah as like jedis well the rebels the good guys i should say there are obviously aliens and you see the bad guys they're all human so then to create sort of flip on its head and give you basically the best Jedi Master ever for him to be this small, frail, frog thing and him basically being super wise. Kind of kick-ass without doing a lot. And like I know like in the prequels and in the Clone Wars TV series and like the expanded universe, like Yoda is kick-ass and you get to see him fight and command. But him just basically being sat there using his words and like just showing how easy it is to do things when you don't think about it and you just try it. (laughs) Which I think is something that a lot of people could take for a lot of different situations. The quote, um, do or don't do, there is no try. I've definitely butchered that. Like the idea is when you try something, there's that expectation of thinking you might or you're going to fail, which is why you're saying I'm going to try to do it instead of I'm going to do it. And it doesn't work for every situation, granted. But just the fact that it kind of has that implication of if you already think you're going to fail at something or you don't think you're going to be good enough at something, then chances are you're not going to perform your best. Yeah. So just having that as a takeaway. Obviously, when I first watched these movies as a kid, I didn't really understand that. I was too busy being like, ooh, space, ooh, funny alien man, ooh, bad guy is actually good guy's father. What? But like watching <laughs> these movies as you get older and you take these things away, you you can just really appreciate them more. And I think that's the thing other than the high-stakes ending that I just genuinely love about this film. I work at a cinema, 
because obviously due to COVID-19, we didn't have many new films out. So we were showing old ones and there was a boy and his father that were going to see Empire Strikes Back. And this boy had never seen it. He, 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 they just spent the day watching A New Hope. And then the dad turned to him and said, right, we're going to cinema to watch the second one, if you're up for it. And this boy was so excited. He must have been about 10 or 11, something along those lines. And honestly, I, it just kind of made me wish that I was at that point. I was almost jealous of that boy. Because obviously, he probably didn't know the twist. But even if he did, he still got to see it on a big screen. Oh, that. Just that. <laughs> You're making me jealous now. I've never even met this kid. <laughs> That is what I think about whenever I think of Empire Strikes Back now, because I, I just think of that boy watching it for the first time and just thinking, oh, if only, if only there were, I mean, there are so many films that I wish that I could watch again for the first yeah. time, and Empire Strikes Back is one of them. And getting to see it in the cinema. Also, I kind of feel like you gave a unpopular opinion about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I kind of feel like I need to give one about the Star Wars franchise now. Oh, go on, Shut do up. it. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? I, I I have an inkling, but I don't want to assume. Um, okay, so I do want to preface, preface this as when I first watched the prequels, I was at the eldest 10, probably younger, but I personally like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the one you were saying. I mean... There are people switching off the podcast oh, I'm sorry. now. They've all left. No, but here's the thing. He was put in as a comic relief character for children. And at that time, I was a child. So I was the target audience for said character. And I loved him. That is actually valid. And also, like growing up, hearing people like hate him and despise him and think he's one of the worst things about the prequels even some saying he's the worst. I never understood that because, I mean, there are a lot of weird things about the prequels. <laughs> like, Jar Jar is definitely not the worst thing about the prequels. And I just think, again, growing up as a child watching him, there's obviously that nostalgia element as well. But I, I thought he was funny, I thought he was charming, and as I've gotten older, I just feel sympathy for him. <laughs> As a as an adult now, I don't think he was used to the best ability, and I do understand why people say he's an annoying character, especially because obviously the original Star Wars series was more geared towards adults, and then the prequel series, though it can be very dark at times, was a lot more kid-friendly in certain as aspects. So I do understand that side of it as well, but yeah, there, I said it. I like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Sue me. <laughs> People are going to hate me now, aren't they? Just a bit. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, do you want to move on to your second? The next one that I'm going to talk about is probably my favourite sequel of no. all time. So this is my top favourite sequel. And that is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, before people get all up in my arse and say, actually, that's not a sequel because it's the third film. 
actually, actually, guys, this is technically a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark because Temple of Doom was a prequel. Damn. So technically, it is a sequel. Oh, she went there. I went there. So it counts. (laughs) There is not a lot I can say about this film that is negative. In fact, I find it hard to pick out anything that is bad about this film. Sean Connery, enough said. Rest in peace, King. He is amazing in this film. The minute he turns up on screen, the film just gets better. I mean, he is Sean Connery. <laughs> exactly. And his relationship with Harrison Ford, like the way that they communicate on screen, is just absolutely hilarious. The scene on the plane where Henry Jones Sr. asks Indiana what he wants to talk about and then Indy is is sort of stumped he's like I don't know what to talk about that bit was improvised by Sean Connery and that is literally Harrison Ford's reaction I didn't know that that's cool that that whole conversation bit was completely improvised by Connery and you can really tell that sort of camaraderie that they had across the film and I think it really showed on screen and especially when Henry Jones Sr. gets shot at the end and Indy has to go through that whole section to get to the Holy Grail, it makes it even more climactic. And it is actually one of my favourite climaxes mm. in a film. Just the whole iconic disappearing bridge that. scene that I still remember watching for the first time and just thinking, wow, how did they do that? Mm. It's just amazing. It's just an amazing film and anybody of any age can enjoy it. I do have to say that um, I really liked um, figuring out which chalice, goblet? Chalice, I think they call it. Yeah, is the right one. And just being like, Joseph was a carpenter. I'm like, (laughs) why did I not? I feel like going to a Catholic school as a kid I kind of feel like I should have thought of that straight away, and I didn't. So then watching that, I just thought it was incredibly smart. Yeah. Also, I would like to point out that this film is the reason why Marcus Brody is the best character in the franchise. Nobody can argue with me. It is a fact. (laughs) Marcus Brody is a comedy king, and anybody who doesn't accept that should not wow. be on I know, bold statement, but it's there. That whole bit where Indy is saying, I can't I can't remember his name, I'm so sorry, but the evil guy. When he's saying to the evil guy that Marcus knows so many languages and he knows contacts in every single country and he'll be coming for you and all of your grails and stuff. And then it quickly cuts to Marcus and he says, does anybody else speak English? (laughs) Still makes me laugh so hard. And I just want to give that poor man a hug. He's been through so much and he still manages to have a nice smile on his face, even though he has no idea what is happening at any time. He is just great. We all need a friend like Marcus. I like how that started off as like a very like 
like you said, bold statement. It was kind of like, your opinion is invalid if you do not agree. And then it just developed into a, like, a real genuine love for his character. I love his character so much. It's not, this isn't even a joke. I love him. I really want a Marcus film, but we can't now. So sad. But I still live in hope. That kind of hit my heart a little bit, I'm not going to lie. So, do you want to talk about your next sequel? Okie dokie. So, and like I said, this is similar as in sci-fi. I like a bit of sci-fi. And this is Aliens. Oh. Yeah. Does surprise you there. I have never seen it. So this will be interesting. Oh. Sorry, I've not seen any of them. And I know it is definitely something that I need to see. So I kind of have like a love-hate relationship with horror films because I genuinely do find them interesting and I do like con- the concepts that a lot of them go with. But I hate being scared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lucy, you know this. I am one of the most jumpy people ever. Yeah, you are. I can confirm. I I jump at my own shadow. I forget that my own parents (laughs) are in the house. And then (laughs) my mum will come past past, um, my door and I'll freak out. It's it's pathetic, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Watching the first Alien, which is a sci-fi horror, I really liked it. I heard about Aliens, and it still has horror elements to it, because it's a sequel to a horror film, but it's more of an action-adventure sci-fi film. So I took to it a lot quicker than the first one. It's directed and I think also written by James Cameron so already I'm like yes I'm like I will take that please the whole premise of it is it has a solid group of characters that aren't all super fleshed out don't all have like major backstories or anything but they feel real there's definitely like a camaraderie within the cast I don't know what really to say now because I I thought, oh, if she's seen it, I can talk about it and then we can bounce off each other and without saying too much. But because you haven't seen it and I really want you to watch it because I want to hear your opinion on it, I don't want to give too much away now. (laughs) I mean, just listening to you just say that little bit makes me want to watch it. So you're doing a good job. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) This is Oliver failing at presenting... A movie he genuinely loves. No, don't don't worry about it. It is my fault that I haven't seen it. And I honestly can't give a good reason as to why. I just have never... I mean, we don't have the DVD for one. And it has never been really on my radar. I've never really particularly paid enough interest into seeing them. But it is definitely a series of films that I should have seen by now. I mean, I'm 21. I should have seen it by now, but 
I just haven't yet. And I will in the future, now that you're saying all of this, because at least I know that if the first Alien is good, then I have something to look forward to with the second one. Yeah. Well, I think it's very much a sort of like a... I'm not... I don't want to speak for everyone, but it's like Aliens 2 sort of... Well, it's just Aliens (laughs) takes a lot of what happened in Alien and builds on it. It's a good sequel in that sense. There are things that are like briefly touched upon, like the Wayland Corporation, which is this super shady corporation. Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. I mean, enough said about that. It's Sigourney Weaver. I have heard that she is very iconic. She is very iconic. She is... She's a badass. She genuinely... A badass. Like, she has an iconic line, basically, near the end, and she's fighting off this big alien queen, and she's in this giant mech suit, and the alien queen's going after this little girl, and she she comes walking in this giant mech suit, which was all practical effects, by the way. Wow. It looks insane. And she's like, get away from her, you bitch! I mean... If that doesn't tell you how badass she is, I don't really know what else will. There's like a scene where she like duct tapes a gun together just so she has a weapon. Amazing. Good under pressure, I'd say. Yeah. One thing I do have to say though, like the main aliens, the xenomorphs, they they're creepy. I I wasn't I was never afraid of them, but it was just like the suspense that was built around them that was more scary. And they, they do have a terrifying look. But it's the face huggers for me that give me the heebie jeebies. <laughs> Do you know what they look like? No clue. Uh, so it's like a spider, but flat with like a long tail. They sort of scuttle around like a spider would. And Ew. they're like a ver- they're like a very pale tan colour. And they have this they have like um octopus mouth it's like a circle and it sort of opens and closes and then like this tube wiggles out it looks very um suggestive it kind of looks like something coming out of something else if you catch my drift yeah and basically they jump on people's faces wrap their around them and basically shove alien embryos down people's throats that is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And then those alien embryos become basically the xenomorphs. And they come from people, or well, not just people, living things, basically. And they burst out of people's chests. Oh, I think I've seen... I don't know if this is in the first one, but is that John Hurt scene from yes. Alien? Yeah. yeah, I've seen that bit. <laughs> yeah, that... That's basically how xenomorphs come about. They are, um, so there are these eggs that hold the face huggers. Those face huggers latch onto living things and basically impregnate them. <laughs> that is weird. Which kind of makes, now that I'm saying this, it makes sense why their mouth looks like that. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's like it's something that never clicked before now, which I'm surprised. So I guess that's kind of good. And in the first movie, there's only one. In the second movie, there's a bunch, and they're almost like an army. And in the second movie, we meet the alien queen, and we kind of see that basically the kind of the beginning process of where the base hugger eggs come from. <laughs> you okay? So much information. I kind of want to see it now to know what it all looks like on screen because the effect... it just sounds so weird, but the, the... I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah. The effects are um, top-notch in both films. Creativity when it comes to creature design. I guess. I, like I said, I'm pretty sure the majority, if not all, was practical effects, like puppeteering, remote control, like costume design kind of things. And I'm sure and these things were obviously touched up in post with CGI and effects just to make it look cleaner. But yeah, the majority of it is practical, which is always a win. I guess I'll just leave it at that have I left an impression on you there definitely yeah you've convinced me good I kind of like going into it I was kind of worried that I wasn't going to do a good enough job of this one but I'm glad I've intrigued you so do you want to move on to your third and final favorite sequel yes so taking a drastic turn Taking a very drastic turn. My third and final sequel that I'm going to be talking about on this episode is the cinematic masterpiece <laughs> Robbed of Best Feature at the Oscars. Oh my god. Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. <laughs> but Lucy, that's Ice Age 3. Ice Age 2, The Meltdown, does not exist. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's a sequel to the second Ice Age. It counts there. Yes. <laughs> but I guess saying the second one doesn't exist works too. No, I am sorry. Ice Age 3 is so good. Yeah. And I feel no shame in saying this. So this came out in 2009, so I would have been 10. We went to see it at the cinema and we were obsessed with this film. Me and my brother and my sister loved it. We got the DVD and I am not joking. We watched it at least twice every month. Wow. So I pretty much know this film scene from scene. I haven't seen it in a while, but I think I remember most of it. That is how much it's grown. If you're in the mood to have a bit of a laugh, Ice Age 3 is the way to go. It has Book in it, Uh. played by, well, voiced by Simon Pegg, who is getting his own series. Is he? Yes. I am watching. I don't care how old I am. I am watching it. Because Book is amazingly funny he is so funny and it isn't even funny like you know the 
kids films have kids jokes that only yeah. kids laugh at and the adults just sort of roll their eyes. There yeah. were jokes in this that my dad laughed at. Really? Yeah. There, there are some genuinely really funny moments in this film and it also features one of the cutest cartoon babies I've ever seen and that is Peaches. Peaches! Peaches, who is born at the end of this film. She's not in it that much, but there's this little clip of her playing in the snow and it's so cute. She's adorable. And yeah, I just love the storyline. I love this new world that they find where all the dinosaurs live and they encounter many plants and different animals and they have to go through this bridge full of which is like coating laughing gas. It's mental. It is absolutely mental, but it is a lot of fun. And it uh, would have been amiss of me to not mention it because it is genuinely a brilliant sequel and I think it is better than the first Ice Age by a mile. I'll agree with you there. Like the I do feel like the Ice Age movies got better as they went along. But the first one's still pretty good. I still love the first one, but the third one just it it was its magnum opus. After the third one, things derailed, in my opinion. Continental Drift was a forgettable mess, and I haven't even seen the fifth one because it's set in space or something, and I'm just not interested, so <laughs> I was like, okay, it's time to stop. Let's just agree that the third Ice Age was the last one and just get rid of it. <laughs> Finish it there. But yeah, I think that's all I'm going to say about that one because there's no hidden deep meaning. There is no wild, wacky reason why it is one of my favourites. It just is a genuinely good sequel and I would recommend it to anybody. I really, I do want to quickly mention, I really like the Fire King scene. <gasps> yes. Literally, I, I think maybe a month ago, I just randomly searched it on YouTube just to watch that specific scene, just because I was, it just, it was like a distant memory that just came to the forefront. And then I Googled it because I just remembered how funny it was. And I was like, I wonder if it holds up. It does. Right, so should we get on to your third and final one? You're ready for this. I am ready for this. This is the only one that I know that you're doing and I've been preparing myself all day for it. <laughs> because I have a confession to make. Oh no. But go on, go ahead. This is your turn. Okay. <laughs> I would like to present to you the sequel to end all sequels, <laughs> including Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. It's the one, the only, the magnificent 2004 film, Shrek 2. In all honesty, that's really all I need to say. I will say more, but that's all I need to say, really. <laughs> Before you go on, I have not seen this film all the way through. What? Oh, I know, oh. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I think I've seen three quarters of it. I do not know really the plot. I know certain elements. It's weird. 
but I don't mind being spoiled because I think I know the general gist. But yeah, I have never seen Shrek 2 all the way through. That's blasphemous, that. I know. That's worse than my Jar Jar Binks comment. I know. I know. How can you have a movie podcast lately and not have even fully seen the best sequel of all time? I don't have a good answer for that, unfortunately. It is my entire fault. I do (laughs) apologise. And I will erect it at some point. Awesome. Uh, So, basically, I don't think it's I don't think it's a perfect film by any means, but I do think it's a pretty darn good film. And li- actually, just before recording this podcast, I was watching a video on YouTube basically explaining why it's the perfect sequel. Let me break it down for you. It follows the story of the second one, like, aptly follows the story from the first. Like, it flows one through the other very well. And it builds on themes and on characters that we were introduced to in the first one very well. It also introduces new characters, new plot threads. Every character in this film is perfect. Like the side characters, amazing. The cast, stacked. I mean, Eddie Murphy as Donkey is all I really need to say there. But, like, Julie Andrews as the Queen. Naturally. Naturally. Jennifer Saunders as the iconic, nay, legendary fairy godmother. I'm going to say it now. Best version of holding out for a hero. (laughs) Footloose could never. Footloose is terrible. Footloose is (laughs) it's It's so bad. (laughs) Star-Lord, strike me down. I mean, I have deeper feelings about Footloose just because I was in a very bad production of it, but that's yes! enough said about that. But, like, yeah, it's that's probably one of the best things about this movie is how well the music fits virtually with every scene. The, the opening song is Accidentally in Love, and I think that's a perfect description of Shrek and Fiona. Because they basically fell in love accidentally. <laughs> that's that's very borderline, isn't it? <laughs> like Funky Town, holding out for a hero, and even Living La Vida Loca, Eddie Murphy and Antonio Banderas singing it. So like, I, I was all in. <laughs> the themes that it builds up on, like obviously you've got the very poignant thing of looks on everything which I think today more than ever is something that a lot of people need to hear and need to understand the idea that um, how insecure Shrek is about his relationship with Fiona because he isn't the perfect Prince Charming that she was expecting her whole life he is nowhere near the kind of person Fiona's parents wanted for her. The majority of the movie is Fiona's dad trying to help the villain, basically, the fairy godmother and Prince Charming, to get Fiona away from Shrek. But, within the best interests, he only sees Shrek as an ogre, a monster, and he just wants what's best 
for his daughter. But then there's also this underlying thing that he's kind of doing it for himself because he's scared of what will happen if the very godmother breaks a certain magic spell that I'm not going to talk about because I'm basically giving away everything else in this movie, so I might as well leave one thing hanging for someone if they haven't seen it. (laughs) The King's character growth throughout that film, great. But going back to Shrek's insecurities about relationships is something I think everyone can relate to at some point in their life. Like Not even just in relationships between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but friendships, relationships within families, and I think that very much hits home for a lot of people. So, yeah, what can I say? Perfect sequel, best sequel, Shrek 2, God tier. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. I've loved this episode so much. I know that I say this every time, but this is this has been fun. This has been fun. And again, thank you for suggesting this idea because... I feel like it's one of those ideas that now we've done it, I feel like, oh, it was so obvious to do this. But in my brain, I I didn't even consider it. I just think there is so much flack about bad sequels. And trust me, there are some bad sequels out there. But I just thought that, you know, there are some good sequels that deserve a spotlight shone on them at some point. So I just thought we would be that spotlight. I like that. We are the spotlight. We are the spotlight. Until the inevitable bad sequels episode comes. And then we're like, this is awful. (laughs) Why is this a thing? Who wrote this? Who who put money into this? (laughs) (laughs) Right, so I think this about wraps up this week's episode. I really hope you guys have enjoyed it. And be sure to let us know of any other sequels that we might have missed out on or haven't seen yet. You'd be able to recommend some to us, maybe. Oh, that'll be good. So if you haven't already, we do have a Facebook page where we basically post updates about where we are with episodes, future episode announcements, all that sort of good stuff. So if you could like us on there. Also, leave us a good review on iTunes if you can. That would really boost the algorithm up so more people can see our podcast and listen to us. We also very hopefully have a YouTube channel up where you can listen to all of our episodes, but they will be subtitled. So obviously me and Oliver don't have proper microphones at the minute. So some of the audio could be a little bit shaky at times. So you'll be able to know what we say at certain parts where the audio might not be as good quality. So yeah, I think that's everything. Oh, follow us on Spotify as well, because we are on there. You were about to say that, weren't you? I was. But it's no, it's good. You got them all. You were knocking them down them like bo- knocking them down like bowling pins. There you go. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a natural thing now. I'm so used to saying it all now that I just it just sort of flows off the tongue. Look at you, social media savvy. <laughs> One day I'll ask you to do it and see how far you get. Oh, I really <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like, yeah, I could totally do it. I, I, I have got this. But I know when the day comes, it'll just be word vomit. Also, guys, we do want to stress that if you have any episode ideas, please send them to us. Because we want to do episodes that you would want to listen to. So if there's anything 
that you want us to talk about or any topics that you will be interested in hearing people talk about, please let us know of them and we will see what we can do. And next time is a very special episode because it is Lucy's birthday bonanza. Not the official title, though it might be. We haven't decided yet. (laughs) (laughs) So the next episode will be posted on the 29th of January, which is the day before my 22nd birthday. You old woman, you. So we have a really, really fun packed episode for next week. All film-based, obviously, obviously, but with a little bit of celebration thrown in because even though 22 isn't necessarily a big age or anything, it's still a birthday and we should celebrate it. And we'll do exactly the same for Oliver's, but Oliver's birthday isn't until August, so <laughs> we have we have ages until we yeah. have to worry about that. Thank you for listening. Yep, see you next week. Bye.